warn you, uh, I, I apparently mistyped in my email. Uh, we're not going through verse 28. We're going through verse 38. Um, so apparently I hit a two instead of a three. Uh, it's our practice to stand when we read God's word. If you're able to do that, uh, let me ask that you stand now. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of, of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit, is, Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied, to, accompanied him to the ship. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in and through this word that you inspired that you have preserved, that you would now, we pray that you would open it to us, that our minds would understand and believe, that our hearts would trust, and that our lives would embody. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So there was a time when I was always on the, the search for sort of the, the best to do app. What's what's the best sort of device? What's the best app on, for my phone? 
to keep up with the things I've got to do. Like there's got to be some really good app that'll make. And I've I've, I've learned that uh, the app can only tell you what you need to do. It won't actually make you do it. Uh, and and in reality, the best for me has become note cards. It's far easier I've discovered to grab a note card and just make my to-do list and then check it off the list and I don't need an app, I don't need the phone uh, to keep up with the things I need to do. If you were making a to-do list for elders, we're, we're getting ready to launch into this process of nominating and, and training and electing elders and that's what this congregational meeting is going to tell you uh, at the end of, of worship today. That's kind of what we're going to talk about. If you were making a to-do list for elders, what would that to-do list look like? What would you write on that note card? Last week we looked at what an elder is. And this week uh, we're looking at Acts 20 and what an elder does. And so what are the duties of an elder? Well, the elder's first duty is to sit. And I know for some of you, um, the first thing you think about when you think about elders uh, is maybe leadership. You may tend to sort of equate leading and elder and, and sort of interchange those words. You think of their function as, as leaders or ruling and governing the church. Uh, the decisions that they make as a group. Well, here's the thing. They make those decisions as a group. When they sit together, uh, one of the words you'll hear as we, we talk about elders, we'll use the word session, um, which really is just an old sort of English-Scottish word for sitting down. Uh, they are only in session when they're all in the same room and seated together and called together for a, a meeting. It's a pretty normal... in your if you're new to being Presbyterian, if you're new to our context, you'll get used to hearing the word uh, session. And it refers to, you know, court is now in session. The judge is seated on his bench, and so court is in session. Well, the session's only in session when they meet together to, to meet and make decisions. And you notice, look at verse 17. In verse 17, Paul calls... He's in the coastal town of Miletus and he sends to Ephesus, which is inland, and has the elders of the church come to him. But what do you notice about the word elders? It's plural. The goal is for every church to have a, a plurality of elders, to have more than one elder. And so the reality is they make decisions as a group. There are... Uh, duties and, and assignments and decisions that fall to uh, a church session, that fall to the elders, that they can only do when they're all together. Uh, they're not their responsibilities individually, but they are their responsibilities as a group, as a whole. Incidentally, the, the Greek word being used here for elder is the root or the word that gives us Presbyterian. We just took a Greek word for elder and said, well, let's make that English and call it Presbyterian. And that gives you the name of our church government. But the session isn't independent. 
It's not completely autonomous. The session rules uh, and, and governs the church under the authority of Christ who alone is the King and Head of the church. So when it comes to, to government in the church, the session is merely applying God's Word to the local congregation. An elder must sit must rule and govern the local church with the other elders in, uh, in cooperation together. They must sit. That, of course, raises a question, right? If an elder, if a session is only in session when they're meeting, the first Monday night of every month at six, I don't know, make up a time. What's he doing the rest of the time? What about on Thursday when they're not in session? What about Thursday morning when an elder is still an elder, but he's not in session? Now what? Well, an elder must sit. An elder must also stand. Look at verse 25. Notice Paul gives a, a bit of a warning, and then he models also what he's done in Ephesus. The practice that he had adopted, verse 25 I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. That can't be the right verse. Um, oh, he proclaimed the kingdom to them. And then you see in verse uh, 27, he's declared the whole counsel of God to the church in Ephesus. In other words, there's an aspect to the office of elder that involves teaching and proclaiming God's Word. There's a, an aspect, a role as teacher. They will read and know and understand God's Word and be able to teach and explain it to others and not to shy away from uh, teaching any part of the Bible. The elders will be responsible for the teaching and training the flock in Scripture, in doctrine, in Christian living. So that that role is entrusted to the elder. That's why you see in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, one of the requirements, one of the qualifications for being an elder is that he be able to teach. He should be able to, to know and understand the Bible in a way that he can explain it to others. But where will they teach? Notice Paul, in his day, was teaching verse 20, from house to house and in public. He was teaching and explaining God's Word both in a public setting and in private family household settings. He taught publicly, but he also taught privately. We want our elders to be able to, to explain God's Word in, in a group setting or in private and family local settings. Doesn't mean every elder is going to be equally gifted to stand in front of a large group of people and to be able to talk. We know that's one of the most uh, feared things out there. One of the, the greatest fears we have is that of public speaking. But an elder should be able to, to understand God's word in a way that he can explain it to people, whether in a group setting, a classroom, or privately, whether formal or 
informal. In fact, notice there's a warning from Paul uh, back in verse 26 again. Uh, I'm innocent in the blood of, of you all. Didn't shrink. Verse 28, pay careful attention to the flock. There are going to be wolves that come in, verse 29. And in fact, there may actually be some men teaching twisted things from your own group, verse 30. Paul says you, as elders, your responsibility is to protect the flock from false teaching, whether it comes from out there or even from one of you. Your job, your role, your function as an elder is to stand for the truth of God's Word. To, to stave off any attack from would-be wolves, would-be attackers from the outside. To guard against false teaching finding its way into the congregation. An elder must sit. An elder must stand for truth. But notice an elder must also run. Many, I, many years ago, I tend to hate to use myself as an illustration, but too many years ago I remember I had this, this memory. I don't, I don't even know if Nancy remembers. It's one of those things that sort of etches in your mind. She and I were out for a walk. John, I think, was in a stroller. Uh, Lucas and Mary Lyles didn't exist. We were in our neighborhood. It was just kind of dark. And we were walking back towards the house and it's kind of a hill there and all of a sudden I hear barking and a girl screaming and uh, I remember just without really thinking handing Mary Lyles I mean handing Mary Lyles handing Nancy the stroller and running because I didn't know whether this was a dog attacking a girl attacking a woman attacking another dog turns out it was just a big dog barking at a little dog and so the lady got scared and it really was no danger but it was just dark enough that I could see commotion, but I didn't know exactly what I was going to get into when I got there. But the reality is, when a church member is caught up in false doctrine, when false teaching starts to, to find its way into the congregation, an elder runs and runs to that to, to stave off, to protect the flock from false teaching, to try to correct the false teaching in the teacher, in the hearers, in the audience. An elder runs not away from the danger, but to it. Not away from the false teachers, but to them. Not away from those who are, are learning and hearing the false teaching, but to them. To prevent them from being snatched away. The implication here in, in Acts 20 is that the, um, the men that Paul has kind of gathered around him, these elders from uh, the church at Ephesus, their job is to go and, and restore those who have wandered from the truth and bring them back to teach them the truth of God's Word that they might be restored. An elder sits, an elder stands, an elder runs. But then an, also, an elder must also kneel. You've heard me say it before um, on numerous occasions. There are two things that we do. And when we do them, we prove that we don't believe we're in control. 
Two things that you and I do that when we do them, we prove that we are not God. Every time you sleep, you are entrusting yourself to someone else's care. You are not upholding the world. You are not keeping your life together when you're asleep. You're not protecting your children when you're asleep. You're proving that there's someone else greater in control than you. And every time you pray, you admit you can't and you don't know. Every time we pray, every time we bow in prayer, we are admitting we're entrusting all of this, whatever we're praying for, whatever we're praying about, we're turning it over into the hands of someone who knows far better than we do and who is far more able than we are. Prayer says, I can't and I don't even know. Notice Paul meets with these elders and the last thing they do is to kneel down and pray together. An elder should be marked by praying for the needs of others. By praying for, by placing uh, the, the church, the congregation into the hands of God and entrusting them to His care. Notice even in verse 32, Paul says, I commend you to God and to the word of grace. He's not commending God to them. He's commending them to God. I'm putting you in His hands. I'm not suggesting that you give God a try. I'm saying, God, you have to take care of these people. You have to protect them. You have to guard and keep them. Paul says, I'm, I'm commending you to God. I'm turning you over to Him and to the word of His grace. Paul implies at least that I have prayed for you. I've, I've prayed for you that God would guard and protect and keep you and lead and guide and direct you. And Paul's leaving these men and he said, we're never going to see each other again. I, I expect you're never going to see me. But that's okay because you're not in my hands. You're in God's. An elder sits, an elder stands, an elder runs, and an elder kneels. Paul, of course, models that for them. Before the, the meeting ends, they kneel down, they pray together, they weep and cry, they hug. And then the elders go back to Ephesus and uh, Paul goes to the ship. And from there, set sail towards Jerusalem. The men called to the office of elder must be willing, must be committed to prayer. He must pay careful attention to himself and to the flock and to, to pray for God's care and blessing on the people. The reality is, even as elders, our elders will be helpless. Our elders will be needy. 
our elders will be dependent on God's grace, God's power in their lives, and His Word to guide and to direct them. An elder sits, an elder stands, an elder runs, an elder kneels. Quickly, where is an elder an elder? Where does he carry out those roles? Where does he sit, stand, run, and kneel? Look at verse 32. An elder must, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Where does an elder live? An elder lives close to God's Word. An elder must live close to God's Word. Because it's His Word that equips. It's His Word that strengthens. It's His Word that that teaches and instructs them and others. It's His Word that must be proclaimed to the congregation. So an elder must live close to the Word. But an elder must also live close to the people. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. That word overseer is a different Greek word. It just has to do with the office of elder and the function of an elder uh, literally, uh, you'll, some of your translations may say bishop. Uh, that's the, the, the Greek word uh, that, that gives, in some cases, bishop, overseer. It's the same word. Um, but literally, the elders are called to look over the flock, to watch the flock, to watch the people, to be their overseers. So literally, an elder is one who looks over or oversees an episkopos, epi, over, scope. There's your Greek lesson for the day. It's the the picture of an elder standing over a flock and, and keeping watch over them. I think we mentioned last week that if anyone aspires to be the office of to the office of elder. Uh, He's got to not just know his people, but he's got to be where the people can evaluate his gifts and know, is this really somebody qualified to be an elder? You can't put someone in the role of a shepherd, in the office of a shepherd who is never with God's people. Someone's always absent. They can't really be an overseer. They can't look over the congregation if they're never with the congregation. An elder must dwell closely with Christ. He must dwell and move among the flock as well. An elder sits, stands, runs, kneels. Incidentally, those are all ways of overseeing the flock. Those are the ways an elder shepherds by sitting with the other elders and leading and ruling, by standing for the truth of the Gospel, by running to those caught in false teaching to restore them, by kneeling to pray for His people. An elder sits, an elder stands, an elder runs, and an elder kneels. 
And he does so. He's got to live close to Christ, close to His Word, and close to the people. Let me make a a few applications from uh, this passage. First of all, uh, just a, a reminder, we're, we're getting ready to launch into that process of, of nominating, training, electing elders. Uh, these are the kinds of men you're looking for. If you're asking yourself, who would I nominate to be an elder? What am I looking for in someone to be an elder? These are the kinds of things you are looking for. What an elder is from First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, we saw last week what an elder does here in Acts 20. You're looking for someone who can sit and stand and run and kneel and who's already modeling some of that for you. A second application, if you aspire to the office of elder, if you think God's calling you to serve in that role, then you should see a growing commitment to prayer, to praying for the flock, a commitment to, to learning and understanding uh, God's Word, to growing in uh, your knowledge of God's Word. It would be tempting, I think, to say, well, I mean, these are, these are the marks of an elder. Um, and I'm not an elder yet, so maybe we shouldn't see those things yet. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm not going to be an elder, so these things don't matter to me. I'm never going to be uh, an elder. And so, uh, you know, what does this really have to do with me? A third application is this. Standing, kneeling, and running are on every Christian's list. If you're making a to-do list as a believer, those things belong to all of us. They're on every one of your note cards or your to-do app or whatever it is you choose to use. Standing for the truth, running to guard and protect those from false teaching, praying for one another, those are on every Christian's to-do list. The Great Commission is given to Christians. It's given to believers to reach the lost, and to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. Galatians 6 says when, there's, when there is someone called in false teaching, those who are spiritual should restore him. It doesn't say only the elders can go restore him. It should be our goal as believers to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's Word. And lastly... One final application. This is exactly what Jesus does for us. You know, it's tempting to think. It would be tempting. And this would be a fun quiz maybe to give here or even in other churches to gather a bunch of Christians together and and maybe give a quiz. What does Jesus do for His people? Okay, He died for our sins. That's probably the first answer. That's going to be the the most given answer in the group. Okay, you're you're going to get to resurrection and He he rose again and defeated sin and and death. You're, You're going to get to Christmas. You're going to get to birth because He had to take on flesh in order to die and in order to be raised again. So you're going to get there. I bet you shouldn't gamble, and I'm not going to gamble in the pulpit either, but I bet you 
There's one job Jesus has that I bet would be missing from the list. What is Jesus doing right now? He's not doing nothing. His work isn't completed. He's not sitting in heaven just twiddling his thumbs, eating bonbons, waiting for the day when he comes back. He's praying for you. He's interceding for his people. Jesus, the perfect elder, kneels for you. If you don't know Christ this morning, if you've never trusted in Him alone for your salvation, you need to know and understand that Christ was born for you. He lived the righteous life that you and I cannot. He suffered and bled and died on the cross to pay for the sins that He didn't commit but that you and I do. He rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death and all that Satan can throw at him as proof of his power to save. And right now, he's praying. He's praying for his people. Christ sits in heaven, ruling and reigning over his creation. He has stood for truth. He rebuked false teachers running to those who were spouting out lies. And He kneels for us even now. Jesus is the perfect elder. I might even add Jesus is the only perfect elder. If you've never trusted in Christ, let me encourage you to run to Him now and find forgiveness for your sin. If you have, be encouraged. Remember Jesus came to Peter and said, Hey, Satan's ass to sift you like wheat. Good luck with all that. Remember how that, remember how that conversation went? Hope that goes well for you. I really hope things turn out okay. That's not what Jesus said. But I've prayed for you. Believer, your Savior intercedes for you even now. Be comforted and encouraged by that reality. Let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for a Redeemer uh, who sits and and yet one day will sit in judgment over the earth, who sits at Your right hand and rules and reigns over Your creation, His creation, by His Word and Spirit, uh, who stands for truth, who uh, ran to correct false teaching, who came and pursued us while we were still rebellious, wandering sinners, and who intercedes for us even now. Would You strengthen us Would You equip us? Would You comfort us by the the truth of Christ's role for us even now? And that You would use that role as a, a model for the elders that You would raise up in this congregation. And for that matter, for all of us. We pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.